Hello, welcome back to Creative Chit Chat. It's the second last episode of the year. It's episode number 48. And this week again, I'm really pleased to say that we're sponsored by the DCA Print Studio. If you don't know already where that is, um, in the DCA, down the stairs, through the cafe bar restaurant a bit, and on your right hand side, there's two big double doors, and that's the print studio. Um, and you can wander in Tuesday to Thursday, 11 till 9, or Friday and Saturday, 11 till 6. Um, they're closed Sunday and Monday, but every other day you can wander in there, say hello, find out what's going on, get a little tour of the kit, speak to some people, work out how to get involved. Um, we've sort of covered over the last few weeks, setting up registration fees, so it's like £48 um, to get your year's registration, or £24 if you're a student, or if you're claiming benefits. And that sort of gets you in there. Um, but you might want to do a course um, to get you involved if there's a specific thing you're looking for. Um, DCA have just launched their brand new schedule, a booklet called Get Creative, which sort of covers their January to April schedule. So there's loads of great classes in there from spoon making to risograph printing to screen printing, um, whatever. Um, you can go and check that out, cccdundee.com forward slash get creative um, and I'll give you all the details and if you've not finished the Christmas shopping might be a nice idea something a little bit different get someone a class just saying um, but beyond that um, if you maybe have a project idea um, if you've got something bubbling away at the back of your mind I asked Anis Fitzhugh the head of the print studio I mean how do people go about that that have already got a thought already got a project in mind one of the great things about print is that if you just start trying a few things out, it, it will start to trigger ideas. Uh, but if you have a project that you want to work through and you don't want to learn every other printing process, you just want to do that project, then we're very happy to advise you, tell you the best way to go about it, maybe the cheapest way to go about it, and work through a project with people you know, in that way. So, so we're very always very happy to advise and... You know, basically, if you just come in and have a chat to us. So, yeah, as I said, um, 11 till 9, Tuesday to Thursday, Friday and Saturday, 11 till 6. Go and pop your head round, say hello, go and get involved um, and head to cccdundee.com forward slash get creative um, and all the details of all the classes and everything else in there. So, let's get on to this week's episode. So as I said, second last one of the year, and for the next two weeks, we're going up to our broth. So this week, it's Jamie Simpson of Sacred Grounds, and next week, it's Scott Byrne from Hospital Fieldhouse. Um, I suppose, I mean, the reason for doing this, um, the reason for, for doing a little bit of a double feature on, on our broth is that I mean, I've never wanted to restrict the podcast to purely just Dundee. I mean, that's why I built it as, as great creatives connected to Dundee. So um, I don't think we need to, to put a, a definite border on that. I think people who are in and around contributing to the ecosystem, I think everyone's involved in that, right? Um, and although there's a big focus on Dundee at the moment, there's just great little things happening all around the city um, that we need to, to be more inclusive. And I mean, we have this sort of, proposed tourism boom we need to be pushing people out to the periphery and then pulling them back in and moving them around and 
there's that whole thing to be done. So I think it's important to start to highlight those things that are going on and happening just slightly outside of the sort of Dundee catchment area, if you like. And, and there's loads of great stuff going on. So this week, um, Jamie Simpson. Um, when we first started the chat, I sort of thought we'd go a little bit music and then coffee. Uh, but it turns out we didn't even have any time to go into music. We just talked coffee, um, which, yeah, it's completely fascinating. Uh, we also touch on the nature of, of place and how you sort of talk about where you're from, which is always something that I find a bit tricky. Um, and then, yeah, we go all through his journey from when how he first became a roaster, who Fatima, the coffee roaster, is. Um, to be honest, I don't even know why I do this bit. I mean... I'm just talking about stuff that's going to happen that you're going to listen to. So, I mean, I'm really just wasting your time right now. Um, that's generally why I end up going, right, well, it's just, I'll stop rambling now. Um, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, one little thing I would like to plug before we dive into the episode. Um, myself and Katie Guthrie have got a bunch of Christmas cards. Uh, some new ones from this year, your favourites back from last year. Um still a little bit of wrapping paper around um, and there's a whole the prints this year as well that we've made all released all perfect for Christmas um, if you're doing that last minute shopping um, you can head to slobsandblobs.co.uk um, which is what all the cards and the prints are under you can check them out there you can also head to Brewdog and Dundee they are stocking all the cards and a bit of the wrapping paper that's left as well so you can grab some there um, or just drop me an email uh, drop me a tweet or whatever and, and see and you can arrange to come and collect them um, somewhere in Dundee but yeah that really is it let's get into the episode so this is number 48 with Jamie Simpson well Arbroath is well it's not where I was born or anything like that I would say uh, it's where I'm from, if that makes sense. Uh, it's probably where I've lived for the greatest length of time. That's interesting because, like, often when people ask you where you're from, mm. you have this dilemma of is it is it where I was born? Is that where I'm from? Mm. Or is there a point at which where you stay somewhere it becomes where you're from? Yeah, I think I think that's a really interesting question. I guess it depends who's ans- like who's asking the question. Is it like a friend or is it you know someone at the passport office? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, for me. It's well, it's interesting because I was speaking to uh, like some really really interesting folks at the Scottish Roasters Retreat, which I'm sure we'll uh, touch on uh, over the course of of uh, of our our conversation. But some amazingly interesting people there who. You know, although they seem like they come from a certain place, you know, they were actually born somewhere completely different, and I think uh, are immensely proud of that. So, you, people who are whose uh, like parents were, you know, incredible, like kind of exploratory types. So they they are born in like I think it might have been like Papua New Guinea or something like that, and 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 that's that is like where they are from. You know, it's like because they don't want to lose that because it's so unique and special. And other people might be like born uh, in, you know, in a, in a country in Africa, but appear to be American because that's where they spent the most. And I think some people would be, it would be a case of, uh, 
it, it would be a, a case of they don't necessarily want to be just associated with what's obvious and people think that, oh, that's just them, they're from there, they're from, from wherever. Uh, but they have this really interesting past that they're not really keen to let go of. And I understand that for sure. Like, uh, I was like born into and around the Edinburgh area. But then when, and I moved around a little bit there, but then I think I was like just before I turned 13 or 14, moved to Arbroath. And what immediately caught me about the place was, so when I say in and around Edinburgh, I'm meaning, you know, very much places that, and this isn't to, you know, discredit them because I was young and I had very little understanding of, of, of places back then. But at a person that age, it just felt like, almost like a through road or it felt like somewhere that people were, it was a base, it was somewhere that people lived but they were going elsewhere. Uh, like I say, this was what I got from it at that age. You know, anything that I wanted I would go into Edinburgh, you know, uh, but then I came to Arbroath and it was so much its own entity, like in a way that I hadn't experienced before. and. It has the classic, you know, like everywhere in Scotland. I don't think it matters where you are from in Scotland. There will always be, you know, folk who have been there forever who are like so down on the place because that's just, I think it's almost a genetic condition <laughs> to be in Scottish. But, you know, that, and, and I get that, you know, and I've been there for sure. But it was really nice to, at, at that kind of age, to come to a place and, and really feel like, you know, I could like walk to the, I could walk to the harbour instead of just walk into a nondescript park, you know, I could like, you know, see the abbey and see all these like incredible historical places because it is a historical town. Uh, and, and that really, that, I think that really meant something to me, you know, and it, it really stuck. And then when I moved to, moved to Glasgow and, uh, you know, I was like, exploring things like musically in that in, in Glasgow and that was like a, such a like a, a hotbed of creativity at the time but I would love coming home and I would like come up on the train and it was as soon as I like I would come into Dundee and it just started to feel very familiar and then it would like as the train would leave Dundee and the country would open out and you'd like see the sea going out to Broughty Ferry and then it, that that was that very much kind of like uh, I'm home you know uh, and, you know, I can pass by the places that I lived before and they are familiar, but in a completely different way. And it's it, it's interesting that, and I do like going, like passing by them, I guess, like exactly like what I was saying, like I, in a through road sense, you know, it's like I'll pass by and go, oh yeah, I remember that. And, you know, that's where, that's where I went to school and blah, blah, blah. But always when I came home here, from Glasgow, it just felt, you know, I was just so much more relaxed. Like it just felt right. And uh, so then when I had the opportunity to, uh, to, to come back and actually do something here, it was, it was a case of like, well, you know, I, I did feel like I wanted to do something. I'd started roasting in Glasgow at Artisan Roast. So was the reason that you went to Glasgow, was that for, because you sort of have this journey of coffee and music sort of tied together. Yeah. So was the original reason that you went to Glasgow music based? 
Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, yeah, very much, very much for, yeah, musical reasons as a whole, you know. Uh, I, I, can I say I was even particularly into coffee then? I mean, yeah, for, for sure. I was like, like, I enjoyed it. And I'd been to like, you know, I would have been going to Braithwaite's and things like that in Dundee, which is the start of so many people's like coffee journey here. And when I say the start, it's like a, a really adequate end for a lot of people as well. I don't think that people need to in any way feel like they have to graduate from there. I think it's a, you know, I, I, I love that place, talk about it all the time. Because <laughs> it's like this incredible time warp that I, I just... Yeah, it's like you go in there and it's it, it's that familiarity thing again. Eh? Mm. It's like not only have I been going in there since I was a teenager, but I love the fact that I can imagine people having gone in there for generations and it being exactly the same. Yeah, and that that fascinates me, and I I just I love that. And I can imagine now there'd be places imitating that style using the old scales and the tins for the coffee yeah. in order to appear like they've got that heritage and they've got that sort of new hipster type feel about it. It's very true. It's very true. I mean, that's the thing you could... Yeah. It brings us on like really interestingly to, to Artisan, which really got the got got the the term of a bit of a, like a, a hipster kind of a coffee shop. And it was so funny because the guy, like, because Michael... Uh, who, you know, one of the one of the two folks who started up artisan. Uh, less of a hipster you could you could never meet. He was just like straight <laughs> down the line Kiwi guy, and he just want he put like, and he had help from other folks like uh, uh, along the way, uh, like giving little ideas and that. But he had this strong idea of just getting. You would just like it was salvaged things, you know, like anything that anything that that he liked the look of, so like Moroccan inspired. He had a table that was like, uh, it was like an old prison door from the Western Isles, which by the way, one, like one day they were, uh, like there was a, a couple of guys in and uh, one of them was like, I, you won't believe this, but I think I have the key to this door. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I think he was like an old prison officer from the, like from when that door was actually in use or either that it had been passed down to him. And uh, obviously, completely uh, of absolutely no use. <laughs> you know, it's like you could turn the lock and something would happen and whatever. But you know, the, the the main thing, the main thing about that door was it was completely impractical. It had little metal studs everywhere, so like you could watch people try to put their flat whites down on it, and they would like be falling all over the place. <laughs> but it was just an incredible talking piece, and that was Michael's approach: was just this repurposing, and he did it all, you know, by hand uh, himself, and. Uh, and just in a very unique way. And what's funny now is that that's very much part of the thing that's called like hipster. It's like repurposing. It's it's uh, giving value to things that are maybe a bit older or had been a bit unloved. Uh, it's uh, it's something that I think about quite a lot because being in specialty coffee, where you, I mean you can't get away from it. You know, I mean even the idea like I cycled my single speed bike, which I guess is is totally like I should. I should have cycled my fixed gear back here today. <laughs> totally letting the side down, but but it's uh, yeah, it was it very much got that kind of thing, and for me, it was a very genuine, uh, very genuine, very straightforward place, and that's what attracted me to it. That's what attracted me to Michael in the first place, the kind of guy that he was, and I think vice versa. You know, we hit it off very quickly, 
So was this at the point, what drew you towards, I mean, was there a job there? How did this sort of come about? No, the, it, it was funny that, like I say, the, the, the coffee fascination with had started at, had started at Braithwaite, so I was interested, interested in good coffee and that there could be better coffee out there uh, because that just, what they were doing was so much better than anything that I tasted coming from like a supermarket or anything like that. And then when I was in Glasgow, I started getting into, uh, getting into like all the different kinds of, like there were other little roasteries there. There's an incredible amount of coffee shops. Started realizing that I could like mail order stuff. I started roasting on like a, a home machine, which was very very similar to like a popcorn maker. You know, like the the little uh, popcorn makers that you get. And uh, yeah, so I, I I had I had actually been getting more and more into coffee. I have this tendency to uh, if I get into something, I, I don't just want to get into it on on the surface level and you know I don't want I didn't I find myself not just wanting to like go out and buy coffee because like like at a coffee house or whatever I wanted to find out how to make that coffee so I could like have people around and be like oh you want a nice espresso or whatever and uh yeah and then it just like again again once I'd done that I wanted to I was like well how how, do, how does it taste like this I want I want to find out a bit more about roasting it you know well that eventually like get to I'm interested in growing practices I already am but I've not actually had any experience of it yet but it does fascinate me hugely and I think that's a whole part of the next wave of, uh, of speciality coffee is that there's this really nice two-way system of it's not a case of growers give to roasters you know give to cafes give to consumers it's coming back the way people are actually saying I really like this let's try this kind of uh, roast can you do this a little bit lighter or can you you know roast this to you know if only it could be a little bit sweeter and you know let's try stuff and then your roasters are going oh it'd be great if and and there's there's downsides to this from the growers point of view but your roasters would be like i love this coffee uh can we try doing it like a natural process or a honey process which is all different you know ways of you know giving different qualities to to the the eventual coffee through the way that they're that they are processed after after picking and the whole thing like I find the whole thing fascinating so I keep looking back and back uh, but something has to pique that interest and it was like just there was a there was a defining moment where my friend Pete uh, I was over visiting him in Edinburgh for the the festival and he took me to Artisan Roast on Broughton Street and it was a tiny place and Fatima was in there and you know I'd never seen anything of the like because I'd never seen the roaster at Braithwaite's either, you know, so you're seeing this, like, five kilo roaster, which is, like, you know, still, like, you know, I could look over the top, uh, the, the top of her, but just there, like, roasting away, and, you know, you, like, I went in, and there was no counter, there was no one standing there in a uniform, there was barely any kind of divided seating, it was all just like there was a big kind of I think Michael called it the mooch in in the back. Is that what you call it? Anyway, I can't remember. Something like that. It was, uh, and it was like just a really kind of cozy, familiar, you know, beautiful place, really. And that was the original uh, Broughton Street one. The funny thing being that every one of those things that I just described is has at one point been 
<laughs> relayed to me as a negative aspect of that place. You know, <laughs> so it was like oh, I went in the other day, and and uh, and there's, there's no counter, and I couldn't even tell who was working there. Was, <laughs> and I'm like, but that's what's that's what I loved about it. You know, you would go in, and it's like it was one of the first the, the first times as as a consumer, for want of a better term, that I went into somewhere and had my uh, expectations, uh, what would you say, like challenged, you mm. know, like I went in there and, and it was like, whoa, no counter. And instead of being like, whoa, no counter, <laughs> it was like, oh, that's nice, actually. You know, it's like, I like this. This is, And it was very much encouraging you to, you know, and, and it also helped that the baristas there were so super friendly, generally Antipodean and, you know, overtly friendly in that sense. Uh, and you would go in and it was essentially, you know, and this was like, again, I, I would imagine like Michael's ideas that it's not necessarily about this. I want that coffee. I've always had that coffee and I will always expect that coffee no matter where I am. As long as I have the money to pay for it, you should provide it. It was very much a case of, you know, we'll not always have the same thing on. Uh, you might not always be in the mood for that thing anyway, you know, really, if you get into it. So let's put a system in place where it's like more to do with, like, so I just went in and went, well, what, what do you recommend? You know, I was, I was like, cause there was no menu, you know, because the thing is, it's like, you see all the time, like places now, a lot of places will have this gigantic menu. You go in and straight away they're like, what can I get you? And you're like, well, I could have like, 15 minutes to you know process the menu and then probably order what I've always ordered because I don't want to make an arse of myself like by order. That's a very real problem. I think I've not experienced it so much in coffee, but definitely in the realms of like craft beer. Yeah. Whereas you go into a bar and before you would order between three or four different beers that were on tap. Yeah. And now, say you go into Brewdog, yeah. um, you've got these massive boards up, you're like, right, well, I'm going to have to try some, I'm going to do this, the bar's busy, I'm like, oh, it's, it, it's, not, it's not as enjoyable an experience, because there's a lot of thinking involved, there's a lot of choice involved, and then often you just tend to default back to what you know. So true. That, and, and it's interesting, because that's where, for me, that's what I really like about, and I'll use the example of Brewdog in Dundee, uh, because... I generally go in there and, you know, it's great if I'm meeting, a, uh, you know, meeting friends in there who have been in there a bit earlier, they, you know, when it's quiet or whatever, and they go, like, trying this beer, it's incredible. And that's what happened, like, uh, last night. I was uh, actually ended up meeting Stephen and Wendy who run the batch in, in Dundee. And, uh, you know, Stephen sent me a text and was like, uh, and, you know, in for a dog and, and I was like, right, cool, I'll be along. And he was like, right, I'll, I'll get this beer on for you. And, uh, and it was like, superb. But if that's not the case, it's, I always, like, I'll have a look. And like you say, it's like, well, instantly overwhelmed. Like, I don't consider myself the best reader at the best of times, never mind. Like, <laughs> but so I always tend to go, well, what, what do you recommend? Mm -hmm. and, and the folks there, again, I find them incredibly friendly and, and knowledgeable. And that's what I found in Artisan as well. So basically be like, well, what are you into? You know, mm -hmm. and I'll be like, well, I'm kind of in the mood for something around about. And they'll say, well, try this. And then they'll give you the little sample of it. And you don't want to be the guy that goes the length of the bar taking a sample of each tap. But, <laughs> yeah. but 
that you know you do that, and then it's really is a case of so there are the name of the name of the the training is completely gone out of my head, but it's a, it, essentially the equivalent of a like a a, a beer sommelier, you know. Yes, yeah, a cicerone. Yeah, that yeah. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but, yeah, but yeah. I don't know if I said <laughs> sommelier right. <laughs> so we're in the same boat there, but the uh, but and it's the same. Like there are similar, you know, similar training in in the coffee world as well you know and but really at, at that level especially at the artisan level it was just it was even if it was just a preparation advice you know do you want milky coffee well no definitely not today uh, if ever you know but that's just me like yeah so so they were like well you know actually you know like try a ristretto go in go in at the deep end you know and i'd never had one before and it was the jansoon blend at artisan that they had on and it was yeah it like blew me away you know uh, but i think we sort of we're starting to experience a change and the, the in the way you're talking about you go in for an experience mm. um, and you want to really enjoy that whereas I mean, we've seen a massive rise in the high street of chain coffee shops. Yeah, yeah. Um, which are, well, I suppose convenience is there because you get your cup, you take it away, you go and you start your day. Yeah. And you do that and it's about fast. It's in and out. You get what's familiar and you get done. Whereas this is a whole other level of it's, it's a different thing entirely. It's sort of about taking a bit more care and a bit more thought and actually enjoying that experience. And you're going to pay a bit more of a premium for it as well. Potentially, not always though that's the funny thing and again it depends how how these businesses are structured or whatever but yeah I, I, I like to think I mean people are people are interested in where things are coming from now that's what I, I find really well I always I, I guess I like when I look at like you know like consumer type things right and that's not a term that I like using because it just seems completely one way you know it's it yeah i just get visions of like just people who just like it's almost like a kind of uh spirited away style you know like monster that just absorbs everything that's the consumer you know just give me what i want i've got enough money give me give me and uh i'm just like i think it's so there's so much more than that now you know I'd, and I, I think that that's a really healthy thing that you know it's it, like you say it's not just about like literally consuming something like I want like coffee or I want a beer or whatever it's about actually engaging and having it like you say an experience and that like that fascinates me like both as someone who provides coffee not not to not not to anyone in a cafe setting obviously but because uh, because we just roast the coffee and other people do an excellent job in in providing an actual like cafe or restaurant experience or whatever you know, we just help people get the coffee so they can do that or, you know, do it at home and give people a really nice experience over, over like, just a chat and a coffee or whatever, you know. Uh, but I do differentiate between there are people who are, there are people who go into places like that because they want a really good coffee. There are people who go into places like that who want a coffee. And there are place, people who go into, they just, it's caffeine that they're interested mm, in, you know. Yeah. And that's the thing you can see that, like, there are people who say we'd go to Brewdog who want the experience of multiple incredible high-end beers. There are people who would go to a pub because they like the experience 
of going to the pub and seeing people that they know they're happy to drink whatever's on tap you know because it's just it's just there and then there's people who you know are looking for alcohol yeah. <laughs> and, and to be fair like that though all of those things are generally because i i i to this day question would i drink coffee would i be anywhere near as into coffee if it didn't have caffeine in it you know and that's that like i i am yet to come to a, a suitable conclusion so it if every coffee in the world was decaf, and we do an incredible decaf, so don't get me wrong, I, I enjoy drinking it, but do I, you know, have I, I, I can't, I, I genuinely don't know the answer to that. So like I say, would I go into Brewdog, you know, if it was all, you know, like <laughs> non-alcoholic beverages that tasted like beer? Well yeah. then, if you think about the first time you experienced say like coffee or beer mm. did you like the taste and I'd, for beer I don't think I did and for coffee it took me a while as well yeah absolutely I mean I uh, for beer it's the classic thing I mean I can still t- I think the, the 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 thing that I tasted the most of was like that like that pewter tankard like hitting against my teeth when I was like <laughs> sneaking some of my dad's beer you know like I, I, and it just like I can I can actually like I to this day have beers that I go that is just like that's like what dad was drinking back then you know and it was that yeah it was that kind of like oh oh, oh, oh it's horrible like why is he drinking that <laughs> you know and then you get it like you grow to be a bit older and you instantly understand why you know people would put up with that you know um, but also something happens that it start I don't I still don't really understand it but it starts to also taste pretty good mm. and for coffee that that to me is still can I I don't know that I can pinpoint the time that I went that is an incredible tasting coffee it was around about the time that you know and I mean like next level coffee like like coffee that was like because I'd been tasting like I'd been having good coffee for a long time but this was like we're talking incredible coffee like there was one in Artisan when I, when I was you know just starting roasting there what's it called? Gethambwini from Kenya possibly to this day my favourite coffee definitely favourite coffee to roast and it now no longer exists because of expansion the I believe that the the coffee estate is now flats, so it will never exist ever again. Uh, not in the same way, anyway. Uh, but that was that that was uh, again something that I really like about that that time. It was like you can look back and you're like, was it was it because I was getting so into it that this tasted so good? Was it because it's the first time that I'm tasting something that's incredible? Yeah, quite possibly. Like, or maybe, you know, like maybe that just really suited my, my, my taste, but I'm getting coffees now that are like definitely up there with that. But is it that kind of romanticism of back then that that was one of the first coffees that it was like, I was tasting fruit, you know, it was like proper, like kind of, you know, you're talking like dark berries or, uh, you know, along those lines, incredible kind of blackcurrant flavors. Uh, 
it's it's yeah just standard like very much Kenya is good for that kind of uh, those kind of flavors in general and so like an artisan we would like line up several coffees uh, and and just like go go down down the line and that's when you can really it's like when you do a whiskey tasting you know you could taste you could drink a whiskey over an hour that's incredible you know and then go on to the next one and and that's also yeah you could taste the difference but being able to go to and fro from like six different whiskies that's when you really start to appreciate the individuality and that's what we're doing with the coffee as well so let's let's go back to to the roasting yeah because um, i i don't actually know much about that process hmm. so can you tell us about how you learned to roast and sort of how that process works and how you go through it yeah absolutely in terms of learning how to roast very much in the first instance it was home roasting so it was like proper like just looking on the internet self-trained kind of thing like i say with this little eye roast popcorn machine type thing so i was roasting like maybe 75 grams at a time and getting really into it and you would learn by trial and error and essentially it's like you would buy the green coffee beans and uh yeah it's so that's like properly post-processing and everything like that and really solid, dense green beans, and uh, and in the in this machine, it was like essentially like it was blowing hot air through them, and there was very little control, but it was totally trial and error. Then with with Fatima learning on Fatima, and so I, do you want to explain who Fatima <laughs> is? Yeah, Fatima is Fatima is the the uh, well that's the, that's the weird thing it. I don't know if, like, I always have a language issue here because when I talk about a coffee roaster, that could talk about, that could be me talking about me mm-hmm. or it could be talking about the actual machine that is a coffee roaster. Uh, and that is what Fatima is. She is a, a, a five kilogram capacity, Turkish made, traditional gas fired drum roaster. And how Ian's dad likes to now Ian is Ian and Catherine are uh, the other two members of Sacred Grounds. We can talk about them as 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 we go on as well. But their dad likes to describe it as uh, essentially like a like a tumble dryer. You know, that's so the beans are in the drum and the heat is is below, and. Uh, but instead of being like a, an element, you've, you've got like, yeah, just gas-fired flames that I, that I have full control of. And then I have control of the exhaust to let as much heat out as I want or, or keep in to, to cook that. And the drum, like the trum- tumble dryer, rotates. And essentially over a space of like, could be anything from like, well, even some of them could be really, really quick, like eight minutes, up to 12, sometimes 16 people would take it up to. It doesn't really matter time-wise, that just depends on what flavours you want to get out. But I would say I'm averaging like kind of 10, 12 minutes a roast. Uh, and over that time, it really does turn like from that little green, you know, like dense coffee bean to exactly what you get in a in a bag of coffee when you buy it. Uh the drum rotates so that the the beans are turned evenly and there's enough mixture of ambient drum temperature and also direct 
surface temperature from the from the drum so you get a nice kind of uh, mix of that per bean and yeah in that sense it's like th there's a lot there's a lot goes on in terms of coffee roasting like huge amount of like you know chemical changes and reactions and things like that i like to i like to i like to talk about coffee like it's a dark art you know like roasting it's uh is that because i don't have enough scientific knowledge of what's actually going on well maybe maybe i don't want that i, I did the same in in music you know i i learned a reasonable amount of uh music theory but also i've always had this you know overwhelming fear that if i learn too much then the mystery will go and i won't be interested anymore does that <laughs> does that seem i mean maybe seems absurd but i i like to think that you know i mean for me it's it's always been about tasting and you know i, I you know we never tend to waste coffee you know, from I've been doing it just like looking there before, and I started roasting with Michael at Artisan in two thousand and ten. So it's been a, a wee while, you know, that and, and roasting frequently since then. And uh, you know, started up Secret Grounds in two thousand and fifteen December, and you know, roasting like multiple times a week loads of individual roasts so you really get to, and that's the best thing about roasting on Fatima because she's the only roaster I've ever used and she's so simple and like really straightforward really beautiful uh, machine in that sense so you've brought her from from Artisan and all the way through yeah to, yeah to so yeah Michael got her direct from Turkey and then put her in Broughton Street so that's so it's Fatima that I saw when I went in with Pete and had that like epiphany moment <laughs> when it came to coffee because it was like oh man and then it was, uh, yeah, I was I was in uh, in Edinburgh, Broughton Street, like a few years later, uh, with with my friend Stephen, and he was like, "So when are you open in in uh, Glasgow then?" And it was Gethin, one of the baristas there. He was like, uh, "May I think?" And we were like, "What?" <laughs> okay, <laughs> so like literally, it was like it was Gibson Street, like I. I you know, because of the way that the hill worked, I could have probably hit it with a stone from my, from from where I was living at the time. So the first day that it was open, I just happened to like you know notice that it was that that it was a case. They had a wee soft open and then it was open, and I was like went in like in the afternoon and just got talking to them, and I was there till like like all through the like basically till closing time, just chatting away and. You know, by this time I had like multiple like roasters in, in the house, home roasters, you know, like the like the air, like the popcorn style ones and then a couple of drum roasters and that. I was really trying all the different things out. And then also had like a, a two group espresso machine in the kitchen. And uh, so like the kind that you would see in most cafes, you know, I think like three full size commercial grinders and uh, you know, I was like talking about this with Michael, and he was like, oh, "You're not, you're not messing around, eh?" Like, <laughs> and it was just like I just, I just gotten really into it. You know, it was like a similar thing to, to music. Like I, I love, like I played the drums, but I was always fascinated by how they sounded on records. I was always fascinated by the process. I wanted to go that step further. I didn't want to just 
play drums I wanted to record the drums so I'd done the same with studios and again it has that thing of you know like studios I think recording in general it seems to attract people like that just love like nice bits of equipment and things like that they love like really well engineered pieces of equipment that do a specific job really well and that's what fascinated me about espresso machines and grinders and that as well it was very much in its infancy technology wise compared to what it is now but also in a sense quite developed compared to like considering how long espresso has been around so yeah I was I was just like I just accumulated loads of things off like eBay or Gumtree or things like that just because I was like enjoying taking them apart and seeing how they worked and and all this and you know the idea of like designing my own coffee roaster was like fascinating and then and then I went the yeah, artisan opened and it was a case of Fatima's here you know that this is like the new the new roaster because Broughton Street was tiny uh, and I think they actually had a bigger roastery by then and they had a, a, a larger like a 30 kilo roaster who Michael called Simba uh, all yeah a lot of roasters like get a name you know I, I, I love that uh, and yeah so they moved Fatima to Glasgow I think because it was just a really cool thing to have in a cafe from you know from from everyone's point of view other than the coffee roaster because see the amount of times <laughs> that you know you would like turn around and there's like you know <laughs> people like like hanging over going like what's this and it's like that's you know just just watch out because <laughs> you know when they come out of there they're like you know like 200 degrees or whatever you know and but it must of, smell amazing it does and i think that's the, that's one of the main reasons why uh they wanted to roast in in the cafe and and to do that they were really wanting to you know expand into Glasgow and the idea was to have this you know a, a really good kind of flagship store to to uh, to actually showcase what they were doing and having a roaster in there just got so many more people into actual the coffee process if that makes sense so yeah it was it was just a case of went in there we're talking like with Michael and Megan and Andre was there at the time as well like just kind of like the old school of artisan folks that, that had moved over from from Edinburgh and uh, yeah it was very much a case of Michael just said do you want to help me out roasting and I was like yeah absolutely you know I'm like yeah this is definitely so I just shadowed him for months months and months and uh, you know he taught me everything he knows essentially now he went off to start Artisan Roast in Kuala Lumpur and you know I was left to do the roasting there and Megan was roasting as well and managing the place so yeah that was the uh, that was the the kind of start of of how that happened mm. like the actual coffee roasting journey yeah uh, that's that that was the the start of it so, because we're up to like 37 minutes, so. Oh, <laughs> so I feel like we should probably move on to uh, <laughs> our growth. Yeah, absolutely. So, so how did you, yeah, how did you get from from Artisan to setting up your own? That was, that was largely to do with, uh, you know, cycling is a big part of Ian and I's life. So Sacred Grounds is myself who does the roasting and then Ian 
Ian Baker and his sister Catherine, uh, and they basically do, you know, between them everything else, you know, it's, uh, I'm really allowed to just concentrate on production. But Ian's been like my good friend since high school and always like, we were always into like the kind of like, just like tasting new things and trying new things. And like Ian's always been big into wine and that, that I really, that really fascinated me at an early age, you know, that you could have someone that was into that kind of stuff. Uh, and so I would always bring coffee back when I was up visiting. And then it like came to the point that, you know, I was able to, to move back and we were out and we'd been cycling a lot because Ian got into cycling and I was cycling uh, down in Glasgow quite a lot. And then we started doing like longer kind of road tours around about this area. And we're just very much kind of like this selfish thing of, you know, like imagine if we could have like lots of like lots of options for like really cool coffee stops on the bike, you know. Uh, I don't think either of us were particularly keen on starting a cafe or anything like that. But I was really keen on doing something that would mean that I could stay in this area. And also because it's like so much like in terms of opportunity here, you know, that it's like really on. And I've been getting that from a lot of like listening to a lot of your other like podcasts. Like that's one thing that I get that there is a theme of people are really enjoying it here because of the opportunity because of where it is you know mm -hmm. in glasgow you know it very much felt like it was a hotbed like i was saying of creativity in that but you were like another person doing that you know whereas it's a much more kind of contained scene all these kind of you know you like folk tend to know each other and it's very i find it very you know there's a lot of like i say opportunity due to the fact that there's would I say less going on? Not necessarily by any means, but there just seems to be more space to do something that you want to do. Yeah. Uh, and in that sense, like it, it, I felt much more inspired to do something like that here. So we were very much a case of, let's do a roastery. We can roast in the morning. This is hugely idealistic and romanticized. Let's start a roastery. We'll roast in the morning, you know, we can deliver by bike, which which I still do, you know, when, when I'm doing the deliveries local in that. Uh, and then we can, like, go out on one of our, you know, uh, longer kind of uh, journeys in the afternoon. And we'll have various, like, options of where to go for coffee because it will hopefully be all, like, places that have taken on our coffee. And to be fair, like, you know, through Dundee, Angus, all of that, it's uh, there, like there's a huge amount of places that are doing our coffee. So are you selective over where you want the coffee to be or are you just up for people coming and saying, I want good coffee? I think that we've been really, really lucky in the sense that people who want to use our coffee are into coffee. Hmm. So in that sense, you know, I know that there are people out there who would be hugely selective in that it's a two-way street, you know, we do a good job roasting coffee for people. They do a good job making it because if that's not happening, then it, it's inevitable that people will be like, oh, I tried some of that Sacred Grounds coffee. It's not that great, you know, and that could be like completely down to how it's been made. Mm -hmm. But then we're really lucky in that the people that we work with, well, they're into it. So they're not 
you know, they're not making coffee that's, you know, not up to standard. Because the thing is, you can, you know, no matter how much goes into growing, processing, roasting, you can completely ruin a coffee right at the last minute, you know, just by not, you know, taking the, the right amount of care over it. So, yeah, I suppose there's a lot of risk in that. Um, you don't have that contact with the people who are consuming directly. Yeah, hugely, um, hugely. It's it's something, and that's why we work really closely with people, you know, like uh, in terms of, you know, uh, suggesting how how to do things, and you know, like I mean, it's rarely it's rarely needed, like I say, because we are very lucky in, in who we work with. But there's always like training there. You know, we're quite fanatical about preparing coffee, so we can come in and like, you know, discuss various things with various folks. Uh, and that with the goal being that everyone will get better from that because I love getting feedback from folk who are like because we make coffee like all the time in a roastery but there's only so many people you know come in and visit and see us and whatnot whereas like every given cafe is doing like kilo after kilo a day so you know they're the ones who know it you mm -hmm. know they, they they technically know the product better than us in that sense and that's why that feedback coming the other way it's not just a case of there's the thing that you bought hope it works but really <laughs> whatever you know it's totally not like that it's it's completely about building relationships you know and and actually like it's not a, it's not just on a, a sale basis and we'll provide whatever it's it's about you know again and that's what I love about this area because I feel like there's the space to do that and you meet like really cool folks like I was saying I was in the you know like just met up with Wendy and Stephen from the batch last night and and they just like they just like we met through I think it was a, a mutual friend that, that, that Catherine knew and we met Wendy and Stephen and we just got chatting and we were like very quickly realized that we're both on the same page you know like what they are doing there really fits with what we love you know the, the place that they're on is incredible such a really nice atmosphere there uh, and and again like what we are doing works for them as well you know like they like a good turnover of really interesting coffee they love the fact that it's local and and so many other things that i've probably forgotten about that that make that relationship so special and that's that's the idea and so yeah that that is why here you know that it, mm. because i felt that there was the, the ability to do that like i say it came from hugely selfish reasons that we were like let's do this so we can do, and you know like we want to we want to have loads of places to drink great coffee around about here so let's start producing great coffee in this area so is that is that mindset changed because i know when you said when you first started up you thought we don't we don't want to bother with a cafe Mm. has that ever changed and you have th thought about that for the future or is it still something you think no nah, let's the other people do that and we'll just make the coffee i think i think that i think that other people are better suited to do that kind of thing okay don't get me wrong i think ian and Catherine could run an incredible cafe i'd probably even do a reasonably good job myself like. <laughs> <laughs> but i i like the i like the 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 coffee roasting aspect of it too much and I like yeah I it's the idea of like being in that place for I, I like where the coffee roasting takes me mm -hmm. you know and and although that hasn't been to to source to origin 
yeah, we have had invitations to go and that will hopefully be next year that we that we do that actually travel out to 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 see because all your your beans are ethically sourced absolutely yeah. that's so yeah and what, like what does that actually mean because you see it in a few places now yeah but i yeah. don't i don't really understand i know that there's a lot of controversy about the practices of how beans are grown and then uh, harvested and then sold but i yeah. don't really understand the ins and outs of that so you want to explain a bit about how that works yeah i can i can do that that's that's like a, a big part of 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 what we're into and and to be honest speciality coffee in general and that's what i love about it i think there's a huge amount of coffee is like commodity coffee and i i believe it's traded as a commodity second only to oil and i think it's in the high 90s the amount of coffee like percentage wise is commodity coffee compared to this tiny little tip of the iceberg that is speciality and speciality is grown by people who actually care they're doing it you know for a better quality product which in turn pays a lot better but also there's like with the people that we work with in sourcing coffee there's there's other aspects to it too so there's things like making sure that there's no child labor on on any estate or, or farm or anything like that it's also you know price point is a huge thing because of the quality of the coffee that we buy the amount paid for it to the producer and that could be that could be an estate owner for a certain coffee or it could go right down to you know there's coffees like say some of the Ethiopian ones would be called like garden coffees because they are like literally literally grown by individuals on a tiny part of their land that is then that like is actually like combined and, and, and processed on a larger scale but it really can be brought back down to individual producers who get more for their product because it's better so it doesn't have to be artificially inflated by any you know any any given means to make sure that it gets a decent amount of money so say like fair trade for example which is and has been hugely important and especially to highlight to people what you know what's going on and you know what you know the kind of you know unfairness the disparity there it's like i think that what i love about what we do is that that is actually people being rewarded for producing better products by higher prices so it's consistently above fair trade prices uh so the guatemalan that uh, that we were talking about earlier that is from an estate where, you know, like temporary and uh, permanent staff have like accommodation there. There's actually like schoolhouses and nurseries and nurseries that are like, people are encouraged to actually put their, their, their children into the, into the nursery with food incentives. Because the idea being that a lot of people wouldn't want to necessarily put their children into the school, they'd rather have them working so then, you know, there's more money coming in, more chance to eat. So it's actually, there's, there's programs in place whereby, uh, you know, if, you're, if, if your child is in, in the nursery or school for, you know, a, a week straight, then there's actual, like, you get X amount of food, you know. So it's like you actually get the bonus of what they would provide as a worker, but also, you know, people are now starting to realise how important that, uh, you know, education is as well and this is all coming from 
individual places like estates, farmers you know, that are that are actively investing in like their workforce, their their surroundings, and and everything's like shade grown. They've got like really incredible biodiversity as well because again it's invested in the future as well it's not a case of let's just take this bit of ground get whatever we can get out of it as quickly as possible and then move on you know it's it's really a case of this is you know the current owner of that estate i think bought it in 1959 uh so you know there is a there's a and and it's i think it's his children who are running it now so it's a, it's a family you know, it's a family thing and it will continue to be. And that's where, you know, so with the importers and the people that we work with in terms of sourcing, they they are, that that is what they look for in places. That so you go through an importer? Yeah, absolutely. So we've like had, we've had like a, a, a tiny kind of, a tiny bit of more direct style sourcing where we actually meet like a farmer, producer or whatever and and we say yeah this is great we taste a sample and we'll go we'll get that but the idea is a roastery is small of us essentially like turning up at farm gates and going right great there's your money they'll take our coffee now it's fraught with risk in a sense that there is a huge amount of uh, you know loophole like what's the what's the thing like the like, bureaucracy in mm. terms of getting uh, getting coffee from there to here and also making sure that once it does arrive that it's in the state that you expected it to be in working with an importer who has also access to other markets means that if the coffee that you expected isn't like that to the extent that you can't actually sell it as a specialty grade coffee they have the ability to sell it by other means at a lower price to other people because mm-hmm. not everyone's playing that that kind of quality game yeah so yeah so we have like direct contact with producers, but we definitely work through uh, importers who actually have a lot, like really good relationships with the with the with the producers, and also make sure that everything is being done, you know, in an ethical manner, mm-hmm. which which we really like. So what sort of quantities are you talking about? Like what sort of how many kilos of beans do you have? Like lying about to be roasted lying about <laughs> yeah uh, at the moment right so I'll, I'll be getting a be getting a new delivery on Monday and that'll probably be like five sacks of coffee and they'll be like averaging like between 60 and 70 kilos a sack so yeah it's uh, and, and we'll get reasonably frequent deliveries but don't get me wrong we're like we're a small roastery mm-hmm. but that's you know that's that's fine. <laughs> but is it, so, is the what's the future plans then? Is it to just self-sustain and continually create great coffee, or is it to do greater quantities, or is it to provide a more diverse range, or like where where do you want it to go? I guess that that's something that I always like that I constantly reevaluate because it depends on what the point is. Like, if I thought that it was just a case of let's do greater quantities because then we can make more money that's not something that in any way interests me it's the idea of doing more i like to think that that's part of a bigger framework where you have a lot more people interested in something better you know 
But on the other hand, I'm also very wary of people who expand beyond their means and what made them special in the first place is completely lost and really what what was the reason for the expansion I'm not sure was it monetary I don't know like I think the really interesting thing about having a business and you know it's, it's essentially that you can you're you're at the helm you know you're in charge of essentially like if you think about the business as an extension of your life or a reflection of what you want to do then you're in charge of of your life in that sense there's there's no kind of two ways about it the business should reflect what you want to do and the idea is do i want to spend my life standing beside a coffee roaster like for x amount of hours for any given week uh Partly, yeah, <laughs> like, or I wouldn't be doing it. Like, that's that's the point, and that's why I love the the background of where I came from, and you know, like I was doing it for complete enjoyment, and that has that hasn't changed. Like, that's I love the turnover of coffees that we get. It's exciting, and it's really everything still feels so new, but that I think is because of the approach that we're taking, you know, and because of the people that we're working with, and they're also excited about the coffees that we do. So if that can be expanded in a way that everyone involved still has the same passion about it, then great. The moment that it feels like there's even a hint of just churning out coffee, then what's the point in doing that? You know, I mean, that's what that's to be honest, that's what I love about listening to to what you do here is that you're actually talking to people who are making lives out of things that they're passionate about, you know. And the moment that that flips to being, right, well, I'm, I, I could kid myself I'm still passionate about it, but really, this became about money a long time ago. Well, is that a case that you continue doing that and do something else that you're passionate about? I don't know. Like, that's that's not really a question that I want to answer just now because the idea of not being passionate about coffee when it's been such a big part of my life, you know, I don't like that, you know, so... Yeah, I, I think that's, again, to bring it back, that's where I think that something would have gone wrong along the lines because it should always be a case of do something that reflects where you want to be at any given point. Mm-hmm. And that's the best thing about having a small business in that in this area. I just feel like there is so much, like while there's opportunity, there's a really nice pace how everything's going. So... Yeah, I'm not in any rush to do anything and I'm just enjoying doing what we're doing mm-hmm. and it's expanding really, really nicely in that sense. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, so to, to finish up, I mm. feel I can't let you go without asking you about your coffee habits. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> I suppose, I mean, we experienced it today when we were sort of setting up um, in hospital field and Scott asked you if you, if you wanted a coffee. I'm sort of, there's a question that I already had. It's around... Do people become a lot more self-conscious around you asking if you want a coffee um, because of your your job, obviously? And then do you become more reluctant to take coffee? So if you feel that people are going to be self-conscious over that, providing you with one. That's a really interesting question, actually. Because I still, like, I still think that, uh, like, dark roasted coffee, and it's maybe still a bit of a guilty pleasure, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
And also, you know, sometimes it's nice to, if I take it back to a music thing, like sometimes I get to the stage that I'm drinking a coffee very much with a kind of professional head on. And it's not just my coffee, so I'll taste it. And I'm like thinking, am I actually enjoying this as a cup of coffee or am I looking for what's good about it? Am I looking for what's bad about it? And like when I was just doing music, I would be listening to records and I found myself not actually listening to records, you know, not actually enjoying them as they should be enjoyed. I was like, oh, is that, that snare drum's a bit loud in that track. And it's like, get a grip, you know? <laughs> it's like, you don't, like, who are you to, to say, you know, actually take a step back and just enjoy it, enjoy it. Like, I think that, yeah, if it, like if coffee's good enough, and well, even if it's not, do you know what? Sometimes it's just, it comes to, it's a case of, it is the background accompaniment to a better experience that you're having. So, you know, I, I, you know, you could give me like a, a cup of anything and as long as we can, you know, sit and have a nice chat over it, you know, and, and you know, it's good company and good surroundings and I'm, I'm, I'm happy. But yeah, does, does that mean that that's my, that's my a- approach to it, but how do people, how do people react with the, uh, with me, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, maybe I don't want to know, but it's. Uh, but I'd say that I'm remarkably laid back about about coffee because I think that like while we say that people are passionate about it, and it really is about that that passion. What I love about it is that you know, it is coffee. You know, it's it's just a thing. You know, you can have it. It's it's there and then it's not there. It's like it's not like the idea of when you're making music, when you're making a record, that it's like this, you know, it, it's this piece that exists and will always exist. It's almost like an archive. Anything that you did wrong there, it's there for everyone to hear forever. Whereas coffee, maybe that, you know, that Gethin Weenie that I was talking about isn't all that good. But in my head, like, it's incredible and it always will be. And that's what I love about coffee is that it's so in the moment and it helps you just enjoy any given moment, if that makes sense. Uh, so I just don't take it that seriously in that sense. And that's maybe the completely wrong thing to say here, but... No, yeah. I don't know, I quite like that approach to it. It's nice. Yeah. I like the, the sentiment of it just being a, a part of the the setting, the scene, the conversation. Absolutely. It's just something to help it flow, help yeah. enjoy that experience. And it's nice. If you're into it, why not make it as good as it can be? Yeah. That's the point. Um, so one last question. Yeah. Um, how do you drink coffee? So like, are you like five cups a day? Are you like really pernickety over how you prepare it? And so how do you make a cup of coffee? How do I make a cup of coffee? Well, <laughs> the how I made a cup of coffee this morning was by popping around to my mum's house and asking for a cup of coffee because <laughs> uh, I just love going around there for, for and again I think that's it that, that, that again how do I drink coffee however like just however it comes like that's that's the point I, I think that I have my like I, I have siphon like I have siphons in the house I have Aeropress various filters I have lever espresso machines I have electric espresso machines like the whole thing, like we've got an espresso machine in in the, the roastery that will mimic almost any other machine's kind of pressure profile. We can get like so super geeky about coffee and I love that, I absolutely love that. But really, and again, this might just 
make me out to be completely lazy, but my favourite way of drinking coffee is however anyone else is making it. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, So if anyone wants to find out more about uh, about you or about Sacred Grounds, how do they do that? Yeah, I, I think yeah, we've got like uh, I think the links to everything should be on our website. So that's sacred-grounds.coffee. I'm pretty sure. And so yeah, Catherine runs a really nice wee uh, Facebook page and a Twitter page. I think I have a woefully underused Instagram account that is the that I'm in charge of that I. Yeah, that I use primarily to look at what other people are doing regarding coffee and then to watch people playing drums. <laughs> but yeah, so it's basically fire onto the, the website and it will show you all the coffees that we're doing at the moment and then gives you nice links to uh, to other other pages that we're involved with as well. And does that have all the links to all the places where your coffee's stocked? Do you know what? I'm not sure if it does actually. If not, I can get a list and I'll put them on the, Absolutely. Put it on the show notes. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. Yeah. No, that's great. Thank you very much. Thanks. So that was Jamie. Um, big thanks to him for coming on. Um, and if you haven't already, go and try some of the coffee. It is delicious. Um, I've actually put on Twitter and on the Facebook page. Um, if you don't follow already, it's at CCC Dundee, Twitter and Instagram, and facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash ccc dundee um, and you can get all the locations of where they sell sacred grounds coffee um, in dundee it is the batch cafe i'd highly recommend um, going checking it out having a nice cup of coffee but yeah i mean i think one of the big takeaways for me from that chat was that coffee can sometimes be a foreground thing it can sometimes be a caffeine thing. It can sometimes just be a background note to a little conversation um, or to the experience that's going on around you. I think that's a, a really beautiful way of thinking about it. Um, yeah, I thought it was really quite quite poignant, um, along with a whole load of other stuff that, that Jamie said as well. So, um, Yeah, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, and do uh, follow us, join us, and that's the best way to keep up to date to what's happening further down the line. Um, if you are still on the market for some Christmas goodies, uh, head to slobsandblobs.co.uk and you can get yourself some cards and some prints for Christmas. Um, some of them are a bit risky, so it's the best way to offend your relatives this Christmas. Um, and before we go, just one last thanks to say, and that's to our sponsor this week, which is the DCA Print Studio. Um, if you want to find out more about them, um, maybe buy a class for someone for Christmas, uh, best place to check all that out, cccdundee.com forward slash get creative. Um, all the details are on there. Um, and otherwise, just go and pop into the studio, get your head around the door, go and say hello. Um, they're all lovely people and they will welcome you in open arms and show you how to do stuff. But that's it um, for the penultimate episode of 2017. I will see you next week. Or I suppose you don't see you on a podcast, do you? Anyway, I'll catch you next week um, with the last episode of 2017 with Scott Byrne. Bye.